Hello, you found the Physics of Faith podcast. My name is Tim, and I'm really glad that you're here. Now, before we get started, I want to first say thank you. Thank you for everyone who has watched an episode or listened to an episode, whether it's been on YouTube or on Spotify or on Apple's podcast app. Thank you so much. And if you've left us a like, if you've subscribed, uh, or if you've left a review, again, thank you so much. We appreciate that you've taken time out of your day to spend it with us. I do have one request, though. If there's something you want to hear us talk about, let us know. Put it in your review, put it in the comment section, or reach out to us in another way. But let us know. We're all in this together, and we really would like to talk about things that will speak to you, the audience. Now today we're going to talk about something called deconstruction. And deconstruction is a movement in the modern church uh, that's really affecting the United States. And while, yes, we're going to jump into that here in this podcast, I want to direct you to a couple other resources that I think you'll find helpful if you want to go further with deconstruction and progressive Christianity. The first is two books, Another Gospel and Live Your Truth and Other Lies. These books were written by Alyssa Childers, and Alyssa is an apologist and a podcast host. She has her own podcast. Look, if you're enjoying what we're doing, you should go listen to her as well, um, because I have been so encouraged and so blessed by the things that she has talked about in her podcast. But she really dives into deconstruction, dealing with deconstruction, and dealing with pro progressive Christianity in an everyday setting. So again, I hope you enjoy this podcast, and don't leave it here. Go further. Use your other resources. Thanks again. Enjoy. Just took you to the Council of Drumsea. A uh, little known fact, actually, about that council was it was where Constantine uh, affirmed drums as the official and only instrument of the Christian church. That's, a, that's absolutely correct, uh, which is why drums have long been a historical aspect of the church. Uh, in no way, shape, or form has like, that type of instrumentation been outlawed in the church. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Now, this is going to be confusing if you didn't listen to the last episode. Right. Uh, but, you know, our last episode was about the Council of Nicaea, where we kind of talked about the blatant lie that is... That, that drums are not. Right. <laughs> no, the blatant lie that uh, that Constantine somehow created the faith of Christianity at the Council of Nicaea, right. invented the divinity of Christ. That was not it at all. No. And this was a scholarly argument. This was a historical argument, right, um, about what truly happened. Mm-hmm. And today, as we kind of tease at the end of that episode, we're going to talk about something that's more of a philosophical, ideological, you know, psychological mm -hmm. refutation or, or movement in the church, um, as well as just in society in general, about um, refuting Christ, and it's, right. and it's called deconstruction. Right. Right. So, um, so I, I posited this to you, and, and we were just talking about this before. Your concept of deconstruction really came from the philosophical movement. Yes. I first heard of it through the church movement, mm -hmm. and I, I use that term loosely as far as church, but this movement that was happening to with church people mm -hmm. and being uh, put forward by church people. Uh, but the term deconstruction comes from 
a philosopher named Jacques Derrida. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a postmodernist, yep. you know, which I always thought of like postmodernism as like an artistic expression, but there's really a lot more to that. Oh, tons, yeah. It's a cool word too, postmodern. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, a postmodern feels yeah. so cool. Postmodern rock, listening oh. to that, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. Postmodern theology, probably shouldn't. Probably um, not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so the, this concept of deconstruction was often described as a process of breaking down a belief system, mm-hmm. primarily in text form, mm-hmm. to determine whether or not you actually agree with said um, belief system. Right. So Derrida himself was hesitant to define this term, Mm -hmm. um, but it was born out of postmodern philosophy and it was originally used to examine philosophical movements Mm -hmm. and theories. Yes. Yeah. You know, when my, like you said, my introduction to it was in a philosophy class um, because one of the hallmarks of postmodern, and I know it sounds like we made fun of it, and we can make fun of it because it is kind of funny because the word postmodern means after modern. Yeah. Um, and that means we are living in an, a postmodern society, meaning after modern society. But a lot of philosophers and postmodern philosophers, uh, the big crux of their argument is always the philosophical, the philosophical question, right, is what is truth, right? Yeah. And so the quest has always been to find the truth. Well, postmodern Philosophers are like, you can't find the truth. The truth is subjective. The truth is – and so so that has always been my um, – it's not that the truth doesn't exist. It's that there are – it is like um, the Marvel Cinematic Universe's idea of time. Like there are many strands mm-hmm. and multiple universes of truth. And at any given time, you can travel to someone else's timeline mm-hmm. and their truth. Um, now, that is not philosophical. Uh, that is Brandon's summary of it. But that was comic bookable. That was com- <laughs> that was comical. It was yeah. comical. Yeah, uh, but, but yeah, that so that's been my introduction to it. Was was deconstructionism tries to get down to to the recognition of your belief is almost your belief at the most yeah. basic sense. It's almost like truth is created. Right. Exactly. Right. right. And, yes. And yes. it's created by those who perceive it. Right. You know, and that's. Um, you know, it's funny. I saw this little uh, argument conversation with some some thinkers um, just a day or two ago, and they were talking about philosophy. And he was, mm-hmm. the the gentleman was talking about. It, he's like, you know, if you look at philosophy, philosophers have long entertained silly questions. Oh yes, because that's the nature of philosophy. Right. 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 <laughs> Yet you'll run into these philosophers who will, if you if you suggest that there's an idea of a god they'll be like that's too silly for us to debate right. conversation because they don't they don't even apply their own methods of philosophy they'll they'll debate whether or not this table is here right <laughs> but right. they but they refuse to debate whether or not god is here and and again that's because tools like these tools like postmodernism mm-hmm. is really about elevating self oh for sure is about elevating self above god right it's funny postmodern philosophy especially and, and theology too um, but philosophy in particular is really funny because it tries to discredit the eons uh-huh. of very very smart thinkers like it's funny like a, a good example of this is is frederick nietzsche is not necessarily postmodern but he is sort of a deconstructionist in the aspect of he he tries to undo all of the people that he learned. Like, I mean, like he, so let me just put that in perspective. He thinks he's smarter than the people who taught him what he knows. Right. And, and that is a dangerous place to be. And I think that that, and I can, I can tell you from experience, that's dangerous. <laughs> I definitely think of myself as smarter than the people that have taught me. <laughs> well, okay. There's some truth. There's some truth in that. I mean, there is, a, there is a, a sense of equality among us, but when, yeah. but when you're citing people, um, who, who, when Einstein's citing people and you're like, I'm smarter than Einstein, 
and you can't even button your shirt correctly, you're like, bro, maybe you need to check yourself. You know, and th but that's what I find is usually it is someone trying to elevate themselves above um, the heavy hitters of their theology or their faith or their philosophy. Um, almost in spite of them. Like I, I'm trying, I want I want them to be, it's almost, that <laughs> sounds terrible to say, it's almost disrespectful, but it's not, it's arrogant is what it is. It's that's that, what it, yeah. that's, that's what it, Arrogance yeah. is in a sense disrespectful. Sure. Uh, I think, you know, it, I think it is interesting, you know, we've kind of hinted at this through some of our previous conversations. You know, people today, even in the Christian world, yeah. they want to be seen as on par with Paul. Yeah. Or, oh, for sure. Or Peter or whoever. For sure. You know, they want to have their own gospel written mm -hmm. you know, or their own. They want to be in the next testament. You right. Know? Right. Um, you know, because they want to be seen as somebody who who changed thoughts of man or revelated something important right. to the masses. And I think that's that's a rampant idea in philosophy and 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 anyone who per who purveys a, an ideology is they want people to see the importance of their ideology. They want right. to be the one who wrote the book. Sometimes they'll put on a false humility with it and be like, well, I did this out of servitude to mankind. Sure, sure. To share my greatness with them. You know, that's how I do everything. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, obviously, right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But I think it's it's weird because I break that down and I see that actually in um, – it's it's funny. This is going to sound really funny to me, but it's I see that with the common person posting on Facebook, mm -hmm. right? I need everyone to believe my understand my truth and see the brilliance in my wit. Uh, right, think, like modern day protests, right? So like, yeah, you, you go with a sign, uh -huh. right? And the sign should be identifying what it is, that, but like. Our arguments on our signs have become who has the wittiest sign. Right, most certainly. Right? Most so like, certainly. It's really become about this this concept of, of perpetuating your ideology as the smartest, most intellectual, most appropriate way to do it. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and here's why protesting – and I'm not anti-protesting. Here's why protesting doesn't work in our world today is because we're all – 300 people are all protesting 300 different causes. right? Uh, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. by that, I mean like they're all – you can ask one person in that, what are we – why are we here? And they're here for a different reason than they're here. Right. And their, their goal is different from this goal. Um, and you're like, OK, well – you guys need to start a different protest, well, and you you know, because yeah. you're you're working towards two different aims, you know. But yeah. we also do it in a way that's very polarizing, sure. oh, right? So like yeah. that witty sign is at the expense of someone who disagrees with our right our, our concept, right? Right. So like you know, we're putting someone down who believes or sees it differently than us, and that calls them to arms against your protest. Right. Now you have the counter protest against the protest. Well, it's insulting their their. Um, Intelligence, yeah, and it, it, and that is, and that's deconstructionist. That's that's not, <laughs> that's, and that's polarizing, yeah, right. But you know, I think I think what we're illustrating here, as we tangented a little bit, is like the concept of of philosophy, the concept of ideology, and how we approach it as as a people, especially in modern times, right, uh, as opposed to postmodern times. In the post postmodern, in the post postmodern, I, I what did the pre modernists say? I don't know. And what did the pre postmodernists say? Right, wherever were they at? You know, I don't know. I just know this table may or may not exist. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we we just, um, you know, I used to have I have a saying: uh, philosophers don't get a lot of real work done because <laughs> all they do is sit around and think about what could be. Uh, but there's there is a, an importance to sitting around and thinking on the deep things of life. Oh, for sure. Right. Uh, There's a value to it. There is a value yeah. to it, but it needs a guidance. Most certainly. Right. And I think that's where deconstruction comes in is mm -hmm. what is guiding your thought. Mm -hmm. um, so let's talk for a minute. How is deconstruction, which is really, it's the breaking down of the text mm -hmm. 
to determine whether or not you believe it, mm-hmm. right? That on a surface level sounds pretty good. Sure. Right? I mean, that sounds like somebody who's being um, thorough. Sure. You know, so David Crowder, is it David Crowder? Yeah. But Crowder. Mm-hmm. Um, it is David. He dropped it. He's postmodern yeah. now. He's so postmodern. He's, he's, he's dropped. Post David. He's, he's just Crowder. <laughs> Right. He's got a lot of great worship songs, a lot of cool stuff. Um, he was he was quoted on uh, CBN. CBN did a uh, conversation about deconstruction, and they there was actually – they went to a university where they right. had like a deconstruction class mm-hmm. and kind of talked about deconstructing. And, and it was interesting. The, the university – I forget the name of the university, but they were like, we want to provide a safe space to have this conversation and mm-hmm. make sure people are returning to the scripture. Sure. You know, but um, he said that uh, deconstruction um, – it, it really – it was him reviewing why he believed what he believed mm-hmm. and then determine if his beliefs were based on actual scripture mm-hmm. or if they were based on traditions that were passed down to him. Mm-hmm. Again, this does not sound bad. Not bad so far. Right? right. So what he's doing – what he says he's doing is he's taking a look at how he lives his life. He's right. not actually deconstructing the text in that sense. Right, 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 yeah. He's, he's deconstructing his – belief system, his worldview, right. and saying, what inspired my worldview? Was it tradition mm-hmm. or was it scripture? Right, right. And I think the important part of this is he never lost sight, you know, as long as as long as there's not more to this interview that I missed. Sure. He didn't really lose sight on the idea that scripture is the authority. Is the authority. Right, right. right? I need to know that my worldview lines up with scripture. Which mm-hmm. If you haven't yet, go back to our, our uh, episode on Worldview. Worldview, yeah. biblical worldview and what that means, and and start there. But um, that was his idea. That was how he approached it. And he said it saved him. It, sure. It helped him through some difficult times of just going through the motions mm-hmm. and really reaffirming, what do I believe? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, sounds great. That sounds great. Any problems so far? Uh, um, I mean, no. See, here's here's what I think a lot of people get confused is we confuse deconstructionalism um, and, and a deconstructive theology with systematic theology. And mm-hmm. so um, one of the most beneficial classes I have ever taken, and, and this sounds good, bear with me, it's going to sound terrible, uh, in seminary was a systematic theology class. And the systematic theology class was designed to break your faith down completely. Hmm. To to take your to take all the bricks in your pyramid. This is literally how it was described. To take all the bricks in your pyramid and and put them on the ground, and then to help you organize them back up in a way that you can explain. Okay. Now the the difference between deconstructive and systematic is systematic does not change the definitions of the bricks. Right. So the bricks are still authority of scripture is still one. God is still one. Jesus is still one. You know, like the the bricks are bricks, and and you don't get to choose what bricks you put in and what you. And it was funny. There was there was, there was a girl in my class, uh, and she was a uni, uh, Unitarian. Okay. Uh, and which are like they basically the Unitarians believe like all all faiths are good kind of thing. Uh, and she all roads lead. Yeah, all road all roads lead to God. Exactly. Exactly right. And which is funny, she was at a seminary, but it is what it is. And she was a very nice woman. Um, but uh, it was funny, she got to the end of it and we had this huge paper. It was, you know, like a gigantic 30 some odd page paper. And we were defending all of the beliefs and why we place that belief where it is, why authority of scripture is here and not here, and why it's fundamental, not secondary, you know, all those things. And so we're explaining all this stuff. And uh, she didn't have Jesus in her paper. And the, um, the, the the professor wrote back 
what about Jesus, question mark. And so she decides that she's going to have this conversation in front of the whole class. And she's like, what do you mean? What about Jesus? And like they went back and forth. And the professor basically goes, you're at a Christian seminary. You have to talk about Jesus. <laughs> like, like, and so, 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 but it was a funny moment though, where, where like that's systematic theology. It doesn't matter what you think. You've got to deal with it. Right. These are the bricks. Well, that's the thing. If you're removing Christ, you're no longer talking about Christianity. Exactly, right. If you're removing Jesus, then you're talking about a different religion, a different theology, a different worldview. You're no longer identifying a Christian world. Right, exactly right. And so so systematic is about building it up. Deconstruction is about taking them away and throwing that like so 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 she was more deconstructive in the aspect of I don't need Jesus. I'm going to take his brick out and just chuck it over here. I don't need Jesus. I just need his teachings until he's teaching that he is God. <laughs> right. And right? exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and I think I think that's a fantastic. So really what Crowder was probably doing and he maybe he doesn't realize this was more systematic. He was doing systematic. He was doing research. systematic yeah. theology. Yeah, he was yeah. breaking his beliefs down to build them back up. Yeah. Yes. So I think the issue arises with deconstruction when we look at the filter that's applied. Yes. Right? So like with that systematic, you know, you're kind of you're applying the filter of of the scriptures. Right. Right. So if you're deconstructing mm-hmm. to identify if you if your belief system is in line with the scripture you're going back to that authority of the scripture mm-hmm. modern deconstruction and the current deconstruction movement doesn't do that the mainstream movement that's pushed by people like and I'm, I'm gonna throw some names out here uh, Richard Rohr mm-hmm. Beth Allison Barr and Rachel held Evans mm-hmm. Um, so what they do is they do not filter their beliefs or their traditional Christianity through scripture. Mm-hmm. What they do is they review them through a cultural lens, mm-hmm. and then they discuss philosophy, not theology, mm-hmm. right? So it really is about applying and taking what the world has taught them right. and how they feel about that teaching, right? and then using that to impose themselves upon the scripture. Mm-hmm. And that is what deconstruction is. It, it, it the As I learned in... in like the history classes, Christian history classes, a lot of deconstructionism in the Christian faith comes from, um, and, it, and it wasn't him, but it comes as a result of some of his stuff, is so Wesley, John Wesley has what's called, the, creates what's called the Wesleyan quadrilateral. And the Wesleyan quadrilateral is scripture, it's you know four, four pillars, scripture, reason, experience, and tradition. Mm-hmm. And so he says that all of our faith filters through these four lenses, okay? Well, Obviously, he Wesley believed that Scripture was the authority. There was it, Scripture was not filtered. Th- we read Scripture through our experience and through our traditions and through our context, but Scripture doesn't change. Right, it is what it is. Um, but what ended up happening was people then started saying, "Oh, well, Scripture is on the same playing field. It's on the same plane as our experiences and traditions and our context." And then slowly we we start. Um, you know, the, the primary example I think of this is Lauren Dang- Dangle. Dangle. Lauren Dangle. Is that yeah. the yeah? Beautiful, beautiful voice. Um, she was on the Ellen Show, and she remember and she was asked by Ellen, "What what do you think about homosexuality?" It was a, it was a gotcha question, and like everybody knew it was coming, right? She had a Christian, openly Christian artist on her show, and then was gonna drop that bomb, and everybody got so mad at her for what she said, and I I really felt for her, not because I think 
I, I'm in, I feel like she's inferior. I don't want people to say, oh, but you think you're smarter than her, Brandon. But, but she wasn't, she was there to sing songs. She wasn't there to talk shop and theology. Okay. And she got placed into a position where she, what she spawned, responded with was a deconstructionalist answer that was rooted in, an, in a desire not to offend Ellen. And what she said was, you know, I believe that we are all entitled to our own opinions. Not a bad thing to say, but when when does the Bible say homosexuality is a sin is the question, and you say you're open to your own opinion, that is a bad thing. <laughs> right, well, and I think that's where we have to be okay with this idea of saying, look, this is what the Bible teaches. You don't have to believe it. Right, right. right? Like, that, it also what, teaches that I'm supposed to love you. Right. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. clearly you don't. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> Right. No, uh, you know, it teaches a lot of things and you you get to you do have the option because you have free will to right. decide what tenets you want to take, what tenets you don't. Right. But when you do that, you you're removing the authority that's behind it. Right. Right. And so I think there is some some grand scheme things, but we look at like the Garden of Eden mm-hmm. when God put them down there, he was like, Don't eat from the tree. He right. didn't prevent them from eating the tree, he told them not to. Right. Right. They then swapped authority mm-hmm. and went with the serpents interpretation of what that meant. Right. And they ate from the tree, right? And it's kind of a, a paraphrasing of that. But right. um that that's what they did. And that's what the world wants to do. And it's like, look, you can you can eat the whatever fruit you want, sure. but don't pretend and this is what deconstruction does. Right. Don't pretend that it's the gospel. Don't pretend that it's Christianity. Mm-hmm. And don't pretend that you have the secrets of some secrets that were hidden away from the scholars who have studied this and right. worked through this for two thousand years. Right. Um because you applied a cultural lens to it, right? You know, and I think I've had a, I've had similar situations like that Lauren Dake had there, where you're struggling to say something, right? That's not going to be offensive. But then again, the gospel can be offensive, right? The question is, is it the gospel that's offending them, or is it you, right? You know, you have to say these things in love, and and you have to say these things in truth, right? You know, but I think, you know, well, the gospel is not opinion. Right. You can have your opinion on things. You're entitled to an opinion, obviously. Right. But the gospel is not an opinion. The gospel is truth, fact. It, it, it's God's word. Right. You know, we didn't write it. And that is that is like – we talked about this actually on, on Sunday when, when I was preaching. Like one of the things that is one of the most single powerful things for me to be able to say is I didn't write this. Right. And that's such a powerful statement because um, it's sometimes a cop-out, right, because you can use it as a battering ram and you shouldn't. Right. But, but to be able to say, you know – this is not my word. This is God's word. And so if you have an issue, please, by all means, you can you can expound your issue, but understand that I'm not the one you need to take it up with. Right. <laughs> I'm not going to change God's word. Right. I can't change God's mind either. Now, you can try. By all means, go ahead and have a conversation with him. But mm-hmm. but that's what I always – when people come complain to me about, well, I'm like, look, let me shut this down right now. I didn't write this. I'm merely right. telling you who wrote it and, and what it says. So if you have an issue, don't go to me, go to God. And right. then don't come back and be like, God revealed to me <laughs> some crazy thing yeah, that, that, yeah. You know, you're entitled to be mad at me for believing it. Right. Most certainly. You know, I think that's that's your right as a human being, but it doesn't mean you are right. Right. Exactly. Right. Having a right doesn't make it right. Exactly. Know? And I think exactly that's, right. uh, that's something to, and I don't know, maybe we're getting into another podcast for another time. Sure. But I think what Ellen wanted in that moment was the ability to interpret scripture through her experiences, and she, she put... Lauren Dagg on the spot yeah. to try to get her to either affirm that or become a scapegoat. She was either going to be a bad – like she was put in a lose-lose situation. She was yeah. either going to be in a, a, a bad guy or she was going to affirm someone in their sin, for yeah. lack of a better word. And that's and that's where she 
and put on the spot, right? I'm sure I'm sure Ellen didn't submit a list of questions like, here's what I'm going to ask you. Why does God hate gay people? Like, you know, that's not what she said. <laughs> what she said is, do you really think homosexuality is a sin? And that's where she said, well, I, you know, I think people are entitled to their opinion. Now, she could have said that and then gone on to say, the Bible says. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, think, you know? I think that's a fair critique is to say, well, the Bible says that it is. Yeah. Right, you know, and I, and you have a right to determine whether or not you want to believe the Bible or not. Right, and and we as uh, and we as a Christian uh, people um, have to love people that have an opinion that's in disagreement with God. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that we have to affirm. It doesn't mean that we have to uphold or even write it into our theology. Right, you know, and I think. Uh, yeah, I'm not okay. I'm I'm starting to get into some other topics here. Sure. So I'm gonna I'm gonna rein it in for a second because I, I had some places I wanted to go, but I had those planned for a different. Podcast. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, so I'm gonna rein. Well, that well, in. let me let me here. Let me help us tie it back in because I think one of the things that that the a deconstructional theology will have or do what it'll do is it'll often take opinions and put them as truth, faith, or truth and fact within their faith, and then use scripture. Right. To ooh, uh, sorry, I'm a little, a little a, hungry. A little hungry there. Uh, almost lunchtime. Uh, use scripture though to support that, and I think that like, but that, that's what that's when proof texting comes in, right? Right. Right. And that's anybody can do that. Anybody right. can take a scripture and try to apply it to what they need. That's where the context. You have to have an right. understanding of what's going on there. And I think, um, you know, here's a here's a scripture that I had written down um, in regards to this. So this First Corinthians two six through eight. And it says, yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, mm-hmm. the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood, for if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And I think that kind of encapsulates this is deconstructionists are taking the current wisdom of the age, right. of the rulers of this age, right? you know, uh, false rulers of this age, yeah. um, and applying that. But that wisdom is going to pass away, just like the mm-hmm. wisdom of that time had passed away, and it's going to be supplanted by a different mm-hmm. modern wisdom, a post-post-postmodernism. Yes, yes. Right? Um, but the wisdom of God is going to be maintained forever. It's timeless. Yeah, it's timeless. It's mm-hmm. eternal mm-hmm. because it was before anything. It was, and it will be was. after. Right. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so you know, so yeah. So that's that's kind of what we're talking about. That's where this is coming in. Well, and culture does not change the Bible. No. Yes, the Bible was written in a culture. It was written in a time. It was written at a place. Um, but like we just said, it is a timeless truth. So the culture in which we do read the Bible and look through, um, there are things that we need to take into account and understand. And Bible, yes, we understand that. But our culture does not inform the Bible. The Bible informs our culture. We, right. we flip it. You know what I mean? And so we say, well, that this is this is a popular phrase I hear a lot, especially from from Christians today. Is well, that that was back then. Right. That that so that was back then. God clearly didn't want us, even though He said, "Put this in the Bible." He right. clearly didn't want us to read that today. Well, I think you know. Well, I think we we use that cultural cue mm-hmm. right when it comes to certain social standards. Right. Like again, I think LGBTQ is just a really good example of this. Right. You know. Well, that was how things were back then, and then right. other people are like, "Well, that also there was plenty of LGBTQ back then." Sure. Sure. Know? And and yeah, that there's some truth to that. Uh, but they're like culturally, though that wasn't accepted here. That's why Jesus sure. taught us. But imagine applying that to uh, "Thou shalt not murder." Right. Uh, imagine applying that to um, 
Well, gosh, this is another one that we don't apply this to anymore is adultery. Oh, I was just going to use that one. Yeah. That's exactly what, yeah. yeah. But but what if it was a loveless marriage and they needed to right. escape and their right. true soulmate was like, right. okay, you, you've completely misunderstood God's concept. God is a God of covenant, right. which is where marriage comes into play. That's, right. why these things, right. that's why these things don't work right. in Scripture because it doesn't fit into his truth, right? the truth mm-hmm. of what a covenant is and mm-hmm. what a covenant relationship is going to be. Um, so yeah, it's um, it's an interesting way to look at the Bible, but they, again, people are doing this because they needed it to say what they needed to say. Right. Well, they wanted to they wanted to affirm, and this like you know, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about last 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 session or last episode, where um, you know a lot of people use the Council of Nicaea or that idea that man created the Bible, man created right. beliefs. They use that as a cop out so that they can create. <laughs> that they can be a man and create their own beliefs, you know, right. or woman, you know, be gender, you know, right, unbiased. Well, yeah. It doesn't matter. Uh, but but that's I think that's one of the big things that happens today is um, we insert ourselves into the text in a way that puts us or elevates our desire above that of Jesus's or God's or the Holy Spirit, you know, whoever you want to put in there. And then and then what ends up happening is then it makes truth relative, right, or, or subjective. Yeah, and I think it's interesting that we look at those types of concepts like truth and suggest that they are not that they are immaterial and unable to be defined. Right. But if I if I gave you that exact way of reading a science textbook, right, you would think that it was ridiculous. Right. Right. Because because it well, but that deals with the material. Right. But just because something is immaterial does not mean that it is like un, unknowable, unprovable, or like un. Observable. You gave the example a couple couple episodes back about like, look, when someone writes a six and like someone writes a six in the ground, right. and there's a person on each end, and one person sees a six and the other person sees a nine, and and modern day would say, ah, oh, well, that six is that's either a six or nine, depending on your perspective. No, someone wrote that with the intention yeah. of it being a six or a nine. Our job is to be historians and to be those people who try to dig back to the very beginning to say what were they what were they saying because there's right. a that's still true and that's that's I think what happens in the bible today is maybe we um we don't want to confront the fact that the bible says things that we don't agree with right. and so we want to we just want to rather than go back to the initial what was being said and and really check the text and study what god's word says we just subvert all of that right. and just say well I didn't really say that Right. And then here's the thing. Like there is we talked about uh, you know, cultural concepts and reading the Bible and understanding cultural cues in there. Right. But cultural cues did not determine what the truth was of that scripture. Right. Cultural cues determined how it was said. Right. And understanding the cultural cue helps you to get to what that truth right. is. Right. The truth is still the truth. Right. right. It is either a six or a nine. Right. What we're trying to sort out is what perspective should we have. Right. Most certainly. You know, most so, certainly. So yeah. So how do people but how do people get to this point? Mm-hmm. You know, like we've kind of already talked about people wanting the Bible to affirm who they say they are or their authority in their own lives. Mm-hmm. You know, but why do people come to that point? I think a big one that happens here is church hurt. Mm-hmm. This really drives deconstruction because people are People get hurt by a Christian or by a Christian uh, concept or by a, a church or mm-hmm. an institution that is Christian, and that throws them off. Right. And so they can no longer feel like they can identify with traditional traditional, uh, traditional Christianity mm-hmm. because they were hurt when they did. Right. So they get this church hurt. Right. One that pops up a lot here, too, with deconstruction is uh, complementarianism. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, I consider myself egalitarian. Yep, I'm sure. going to admit that I've not done as much as I want to in research on that. Sure, sure. Um, but uh, I consider myself egalitarian. And then 
But for people who ascribe to complementarianism, mm -hmm. the idea – like I understand how they get there. Oh, sure. And I don't see it as a hurtful sure. concept. Can you wield complementarianism as a hurtful act? And and for those who aren't uh, maybe sure. understanding this, is like can women complementarianism is that um, women cannot have authority in the church, right? Right. Um, and in some instances, like shouldn't be in like authoritative positions at all. Yeah, yeah. A a complementarianism says like they're they're a helper. That's it. Like basically, right. I mean that's that's a terrible way. It's yeah. the quickest way that we can save time talking about it. Right. <laughs> they have a role, and that role is not to right. It's not pastor. Role. It's not yeah. teaching. It's not preaching. It's it's right. Other things. Now we we you and I have talked about this. We're egalitarian, right. which is that no uh, women can absolutely do those. Yeah, things. sure, most certainly. You know, um, and so that's another. That's, that's another topic for another topic. Topic. Exactly. Another topic. <laughs> But you can understand where somebody, if you say a woman is in a church and she's mm -hmm. being told that she cannot exercise her gifts, and if she's told in a specific way or treated a specific way because she's a woman, mm -hmm. um, one hundred percent, she's going to have issues with that, mm -hmm. right? So that that could definitely be a church hurt topic. Mm -hmm. um, you know. Uh, Sexuality. Mm -hmm. If you're told that your sexuality does not fit within the confines of Scripture, right? How you're told, and whether or not you can come to grips with that, mm -hmm. leads to hurt. Yes, right. Um, as well as guilt and shame. Right. And we, this is the, the the world treats guilt and shame by either justifying the action that caused the shame, right? Reascribing the shame to people who put it upon them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. As opposed to it being an internal thing. Um, and and what they try to do is is remove shame by redefining it or reascribing where it came from. Right. You know, we as Christians get rid of shame by recognizing shame comes through sin. Right. And it is in Christ that we have no shame. Right. I will not have shame if I live my life in Christ. Right. Exactly. Right. Yes. So yeah. So so church hurt again. Um, competing desires. Mm -hmm. you know, what I desire. It doesn't line up with the Word of God, mm -hmm. uh, or discomfort with repeating things that they've been taught. So this is kind of goes to the Lauren Dag thing, right? She was she was uncomfortable, right? Yeah, yeah. She didn't know what to. She was like, "Oh shoot, what do right. I do?" Yeah, rightfully so, right? Um, and and this is kind of where we we get this this idea. Well, Jesus taught love and peace, and he sure he didn't sure. offend people. You know, John seven seven says, "The world cannot hate you, but it hates me," right? Because I testify about it that its deeds are evil, right? So right. Jesus didn't mince words about this. And like again, I think we've talked about this before is, you know, who did Jesus hang out with? Right. And, and the truth of this is 90% of the time with his disciples. Right. Yeah. Just, well, right? Yeah, always, <laughs> always with that. Right. right. Exactly. He, was, right. he yeah. hung out with his disciples. But there were some times where he was with the sinners. Right. And and first of all, the fact that you say that they were sinners is an indication that they are not doing things that are glorifying. Right, right. Right? Yeah. And when when asked, why are you spending time with these people, mm -hmm. right, the modern culture says, well, he was doing it to affirm them. Right. No. He no. said they were sick and in need of a doctor. Doctor, right. And he was the prescription that they needed. Right, exactly right. right. So, you know. He never – he never – there's never a instance in the entire Bible and any of the Gospels where Jesus changes – his theology. No. You know what I mean? Like he never, never once says, oh, hey, that was wrong. And then, you know, he goes to Galatia. He meets somebody in Galatia and he's like, oh, wow, this guy's really nice. I don't want to offend him. So it's not wrong anymore. No, right. like he he sticks to his guns. Yeah. But what makes Jesus so amazing and so compelling is he does something that no one 
in our context today seems to be able to do is he speaks the truth in love. Like when yeah. there's a way that Jesus tells them they're sinners that they they want to repent. Right. You know, you know, we tell them they're sinners and they're like, no. Everybody <laughs> everybody wants to focus on the fact that Christ didn't condemn the adulteress by stoning her. Right. They all miss the part where he says, sin, sin no, no more. more. Exactly right. He, yeah. He affirms that she was a sinner right. and she was doing things she shouldn't have been doing. Yeah. And and there's a lot more context that's missing from that story that we maybe don't look at. This is interesting. I had a, a professor. I don't know if I agree with him or not, but it was an interesting perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, say, you know, the reason that Jesus did not stone her, mm-hmm. and I, I don't agree with his reasoning, but I think again, I think this was an interesting concept. Understand that this was a trap for Jesus. Oh, for sure. They didn't do this because it was the right thing to stone her. They did it because if he did stone her, right. He would be a well trap. by all by all Jewish law, it should have been both her and the man. Exactly, but it wasn't, and that was the thing. They didn't present <laughs> uh-huh. the man, and and Jesus kind of infers that when yeah. he was like, "Who among you is without sin?" <laughs> right. He's he's almost to a degree saying the adulterer <laughs> is here with the adulteress. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So like, <laughs> why don't we just kill everyone who deserves to be <laughs> right. killed by the law? Right. Right. And and so like people don't understand. Jesus never. He says, I didn't come to get rid of the law. I came to fulfill it, fulfill the yeah. law, which, which of course changes how it applies to our life. Right, 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 right. We are no longer under the law. We are under Christ. Right. Um, and again, we're going to have some really great podcasts about that uh, <laughs> <laughs> that are coming up. Those are, those are on the books, right? We're, we're going to have some conversations about Old Covenant and New Covenant. We're right. going to have some conversations about uh, living Just your life le- in the Spirit. Legalism and, and those things too. And yeah. legalism, because yeah. legalism is the next one on my list right. here of things that that push people towards deconstruction. Right, right. It's this strict legalism, and legalism's bad, okay? Mm-hmm. Sure, sure, sure. It is bad. <laughs> it's bad, okay? Yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> if, if you do legalism, you're going to have a bad time. Yeah. Uh, so... <laughs> So legalism is bad, and right. it pushes people away from Christ, and oftentimes pushes them to deconstruction. Because right. I think a lot of times people in deconstruction they know the truth, right? And they want to be in the truth, but they need to re- they need to redefine it. Mm-hmm. Because if they don't, then they can't do the things they want to do. I find that deconstruction usually comes from a lack, like you said, it's in a lack of uh, acceptance. And I don't mean acceptance as in like acceptance of their behavior, but like feeling a part of a community. Yeah. And so they feel that they need to create this to create a community where people can be, um, you know, we we had a, a, a same-sex attracted individual who came and spoke. Um, we did like these roundtable discussions and he came and he talked and he said one of the things that, that really – he struggled with with the church was that there's two there's there's two responses to the fact when someone comes out and says I struggle with same sex attraction um, there's always two responses one is the celebratory yay embrace yourself and the other one is like guess you're going to hell um, and he said the reality is I don't need your affirmation he says I I need your acceptance and by that I mean I need you to love me where I'm at. That doesn't mean I need you to tell me I'm right yeah. and and accept what I'm doing or, or affirm what I'm doing. I just need you to love me where I'm at and help me through this. And I think that was a really powerful thing because he said his his mother and I'm not he's going to hopefully come on our, sh- our our podcast here. That'd be great. Um but but his mother was uh the one who who was like look like the Bible says that's wrong, and you know in your heart that's wrong, but I love you, and I will always. She took this stance yeah. of God that's like, I will always love you, right. and and no sin is going to separate you from me, and and I will pursue you, and I will, and and she 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 did not affirm his behavior, but she accepted him where she was at and said, I embraced him, and I think, man, if our churches could do that more, if we yeah. could embrace people in their sin, not saying, hey, good job, keep doing it, but saying, hey, we're all sinners, we love you, we're going to help you through this, you wouldn't have these people who are 
creating this opportunity because that's what deconstruction is affirmation, not acceptance. It's I, I don't feel accepted. So I'm going to affirm everybody and make truth subjective so that we can, so that we can all be a part. And then I'm going to flip it back on everybody's face and say, look, see, we're the one true church because we're truly accepting of people, of all people. We yeah. love all people, just like Jesus, you know, and then you're like, oh, so we're not a real church anymore, you know? So, right. yeah. Well, I think, too, and this is actually where I was going to go previously, and I'm, now I'm just going to do it, is okay. um, people <laughs> misunderstand inclusion. Yes. They, they don't understand what inclusion is. Inclusion is not allowing people to be to redefine your group. Right. It's allowing people to enter your group. Right. Inclusion is an open door. Right. But inclusion should always lead to conformity. Right, most certainly. Right. So t- here's an example is um, you have a bunch of kids playing soccer mm-hmm. and a kid shows up with a baseball bat and, and, and a you know and he's like, you know, he obviously was a baseball player. Right. And they're like, hey, we'd love to include you. Right. Come down here and play soccer with us. Right. Okay. Does can he bring the bat? Well, I mean, he could bring it to the bench, I guess. <laughs> I guess, yeah, yeah. yeah if he, if yeah. he comes out onto the field with the bat and tries to start hitting home runs and, and strike the soccer ball with the bat, yeah. he's playing a different sport. sport. Right, exactly right. And they're now going to have to exclude him because right. the only way to play soccer is going to be to get rid of those things right. that are not included. Leave your bat at the bench right. and then you can come play. Right. Yeah. You can be included to come be a part of this group, mm-hmm. but then you have to be a part of the group. Right. Right. And like – LGBTQ has no problem with that when somebody leaves that group. Right. They understand that when they when somebody leaves that group, they're right. going to say, okay, well, you're no longer included. Right. Right. Because you've you've disavowed this and you're no longer part of the group. Right. Right. So people have no problem doing that, but they think inclusion means letting people do what they want within your group. Right. But if we do that, we redefine what our group is, and our group is no longer our group. Right. And it's not our right. standards, by the way. Right. We didn't write the rules. We didn't write the game. You know what I mean? Right. And so I think that that's another thing is, like you said, a deconstructional theology or deconstructionist will come and say, okay, well, we're going to rewrite the rules to make this game more inclusive. Right. Well, th- that's not the game. Well, that then w- becomes Calvin Ball. Right, exactly. You know, if, if you're not familiar right. with Calvin right. and Hobbes, yeah. Yeah. Calvin Ball, the rules are made up on the fly as they go. Right. And you know what? A child has a lot of fun with that, mm-hmm. but there's no practical application to that in, right. in real life of being able to make up the rules as you go because what is good for you today will not be good for you tomorrow. And as you change that, hey, that's all, that's all great if you're in a vacuum, mm-hmm. but then somebody else is going to change the rules on you. Mm-hmm. And now you're... Now you're the one left out in the corner. That's the process of sanctification. Sanctification is just learning how to – not this is going to sound really terrible. It's learning how to play the game. And I don't mean as in like faith is a game, but it's learning how to do what God has called us to do. Yeah. And, and the beauty of the Christian faith, though, is at any time, if, if you want to go pick up your bat and go play Calvin ball, you can. Yeah. You're welcome to. But that doesn't change the fact that this is how God has called us to do these things, and so I think that that's a big that's a big thing in a lot of um, postmodern. Um, I'm always a little leery when I hear a church, uh, especially that's like, oh yeah, like we're we're doing church like um, it's supposed to be done, or like we're doing church. Um, like the early, this is always a cop out, right? We're doing the church like the early church did. That's how the early church. Yeah, or, or like I love. I there's a joke uh, a couple of us have that we drive by those churches that say like full of gospel, full gospel, and things like that. And I always, I was like, does that mean I don't? I'm a pastor. I preach the God. Am I not preaching? What what, what constitutes full gospel and not? But do you full? want to know? Right. Yeah. Because well, I, well, I do know. No, I know. No, yeah. Most certainly. Yeah. I know. Well, it's usually it's usually gifts of the Spirit, Holy Spirit. Right. Things, right. That's usually yeah. what it is. Um. But then again, I mean, that's that is. I think there's there's a Protestant deconstructionist that happened there, right? Like mm-hmm. you want to talk about complementarian and egalitarian, you can also talk about gifts of the Spirit. I mean, there are are whole wings of the church that say no, the gifts of the Spirit were only designated for the apostles of that time. Right. 
the Bible doesn't say that. No. And this is interesting because... It does say they got it, but it doesn't say just for them, you know? And you talk about this as Reformation. I think it's right. important for us to note, too, Reformation is different mm -hmm. than deconstruction. Most certainly, so, yes. So uh, Martin Luther is often referred to by deconstructionalists as a deconstructionalist. No, he's not. That he deconstructed the church. Right. And again, though, the difference is, the difference is wh what was his filter? Right. His filter was about getting rid of traditions that didn't line up with scripture. Right. You know, deconstruction is about getting rid of scripture that doesn't line up with your traditions. traditions exactly right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's so it's a completely different thing. Reformation is not deconstruction. When does I, I think I learned in in philosophy class, so I can't remember in theology, but I don't think de I don't think deconstruction comes along until like the nineteenth century, even to be honest with you. It's a while. I'm pretty sure. And so, just to put that into context, Luther is in like the sixteenth century. So, right. so you can't have a deconstructionalist right. when well, it's not even a thing yet. You know, maybe, maybe not by title. Well, yeah, by title, you still can't have some. You're right. Yeah. You know, we talked about that with Arianism. That's Ari true. Arianism yeah. was psilocybinism. Uh, I don't have that note in front of me anymore, and it's a really hard. You just got. Now. You just got the gift of tongues there for a second. <laughs> Watch I need out. you to interpret. Uh, yeah, it was a different heresy before it was called Arianism. Right, right, and it exactly. It was resurrected right. as something else. So, right, you know, as as uh, uh, w which book is it? Uh, Ecclesiastes would say, mm -hmm. "There's nothing new under the sun." No, exactly right. Just, we just revisit these same topics over and over again under new names and new right. rises. Right, right. So, so uh, you could you could claim it, but it's it's still not true. Right, exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, and so deconstruction, where it takes you, where it goes, essentially. Is the dis as we've already said? It's the dismissal of absolute truth. Right. So truth is subjective. You live your truth. I'll live mine. Mm -hmm. Which isn't a thing, right? Mm -hmm. You can't. Truth is truth. Right. Right. There is a truth, and we we were talking about this before we rec started recording a little bit. As you know, I like the Obi Wan theory is kind of where I right. went with it. Is you know, uh, Obi Wan tells Luke that Darth Vader killed and destroyed his father. Yeah. Right. Um, and and then Luke finds out that Darth Vader is his father. Right. And he's like, you lied to me. And he says, what I told you was true from a certain point, point of, of view. view. Right. Right. So it was a perspective. Mm -hmm. It was true to this perspective. But it wasn't actual truth because mm -hmm. it was missing context. The truth is that Anakin Skywalker is Darth Vader, who is Luke's father. Spoiler right. alert. If right. you haven't seen Star Wars. <laughs> Spoiler alert. You've had plenty of years. You've yeah. More than enough time. <laughs> um, you know. Uh, so, like, that's perspe that's perspectivism and saying that, well, the truth is what Obi – that was Obi-Wan's right. truth. Right, Not Luke's truth, not Anakin's truth. No, the truth was that Obi-Wan just wasn't trying to hurt Luke. Right. That's what the truth was. That, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly. A, yeah. <laughs> so it's it's – you don't have your truth and I have my truth. You have your experience and I have my experience. Right. You have your perspective, I have my perspective, mm -hmm. but there is always going to be one truth mm -hmm. and we should be trying to align our experiences and our perspectives with that truth. That's the quadrilateral. You take yeah. the, the the scripture, reason, tradition, and experience and you filter them all and they all have to filter through scripture because yeah. you can't change scripture. You know? Right. So again, de deconstruction is determining your worldview by interpreting scripture through personal experience. Mm -hmm. um, no one can, no one else can prescribe truth or define truth for you. It has to come within you, which mm -hmm. really is to exalt yourself to godhood. Which is always an interesting concept. Now, this might take us on a tangent, but I want to, I want to say it. It's always an interesting concept that a lot of like the deconstructionist churches that you go to or you see, like these big ones, um, most often they're under like the authority of 
one or two names, like, you know, yeah. like one or two head writers or, or pastors. And I always think that's funny because like one of the tenets of deconstructionalism is like, I don't have to listen to you. <laughs> but yet right. they all adamantly listen to that person. And when well, they speak, they're like, that's the voice of God. What was the, we well, were talking about one a while back. It's the one church that recently just said that they've gotten a new revelation from Jesus. Um, well, that was the, uh, that was the, in, the interpretation of the Bible. Ah, uh, yes. That's what, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. that, uh, that, that Bible translation, yes, which was actually a paraphrase, but, right, right. Where they kind of rewrite it to have these uh, new apostolic reformationism in it, right. And that's, but that's that's yeah. that's at the heart of deconstruction. Someone there is trying to deconstruct that scripture is not enough. We need a new revelation of it in right. order to to understand it today. And then it's funny because everybody blindly is like, "Yep, let's follow that person." You think, okay, again, tangenting here. Yeah. Do you, Worship music sometimes plays into this because we oh. we sing songs that say we need another Pentecost or we need a revival or we right. need a new revival. Yes, we need, we need a new encounter with Christ, and it's like, wh- why did your encounter with Christ stop? Right. Yeah. You know. Why, yeah. You know, uh, revival is not an event; it's a state of being. You know, like there's there's some things there that like just don't mesh with the concept of who the Holy Spirit. I is. said it. I said it on Sunday, and I'll say it here in case you didn't listen to us on Sunday because you don't know what Sunday it was, right. and I don't even know what Sunday right, it was either. The podcast didn't come out. <laughs> yeah. Later, who yeah. knows? Who knows? Uh, but but the the reality is is this. I think a lot of people. You're hundred percent right. We go to worship music for so much of our theology. <laughs> And Lauren Day just proved we should. <laughs> right, right, right. A Crowder, post Crowder, right. a post yeah. David, a post David society. Um, maybe I think when he was David, we could go to him for his theology. But now that he's post David, um, that is oh, the, I'm, the Psalms. That's. You know? the, yeah. But but I think a lot of modern Christian music, um, we go there for our theology. And I think, and I, I said this on Sunday, like imagine if you just went straight to the source. Right. Like like I, I'm not saying Toby Mac is wrong. Okay, but what I am saying is Toby Mac is Toby Mac, and he's often writing, singing, and speaking as Toby Mac. Right. That's well, not the Bible. The Bible is God. Speaking is God. It's interesting that you bring that up because deconstruction is incredibly popular right. with the musicians and Christian culture, mm-hmm. right? But like, you can go watch some documentaries and some different things that are out there about Christian music culture, mm-hmm. and there's no wonder mm-hmm. because, because they took this concept of of capitalism sure. and um, and not not bashing capitalism in, in regards, but like this idea of performance and consumption and right. finance and all of that, and tried to and then wrapped it in this cloak of of the gospel. Right. right. So that's why like K Max, right. who was obviously the most talented member of the DC Talk trio, because he was the rock element. He was always my favorite because because uh, he was edgy, uh, and he did, and he had he recited weird poems and things. But then go figure. Now he's a deconstructionist, right? Because he's following his art as opposed to following Christ, right? Right. So this is really popular I'm, with dude, Christian. I'm musicians. just thinking of that South Park episode yeah. where Cartman gets on the Christian label, and that's yeah. all he does is he <laughs> right? just uses the marketability of it. I'm sorry, right. I'm not condoning. Uh, um, well, I knew a, South Park, but but that's exactly. But it is. It's putting your own philosophy and theology under the guise of the Christian flag. One hundred percent. Yeah, and and maybe they didn't start out that way. Mm-hmm. Maybe they started, but what became more important was what they believed and what they wrote and the art that they wrote, as opposed to what the scripture was that was supposed to inform that art. Right. What well, under the guise too of worship. Right, this is a worship song. This right. is supposed to be sung, you know, and I yeah. think that that's that one of the things we have as a, as a church, we have the criteria, and you know, because you help on the team, is is they need to be theologically sound. Like, right. because there are there are songs that are presented as worship songs, and you're singing them, and as you're singing them, then you're like, I don't, I don't think we should be singing this. 
right. Especially as a song, oh, it's okay to it's okay to sing that in a song and say like, "Hey, this is a song I wrote. I'm, I was going through this, and here's what was going on in my mind." Right. But it's not okay to sing that to to the Lord on Sunday when this is the day that we're lifting our praises to Him to be being like, "God, I'm questioning you," and right, you're like, right. "Whoa, wait a minute! Like that's not a bad thing, but mm-hmm. um, maybe I'm not going to refute Scripture in front of the Lord on His day." <laughs> you know? Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. It's, it can get really weird. It can. Um, and yes. I, you know, I read a, I read a book by. Um, Mark Solomon, who's mm-hmm. the lead singer of Dave Saker, who's one of my favorite bands of all sure. time. And he is really in uh, deconstructing at this time. And mm-hmm. uh, he wrote this book, Simplicity, where he talked about some of his experiences. Sure. And again, you can see it. If you read it, you can see exactly how he got to this point. Sure. Because he started out being very authoritarian. Right. But then realizing that he was he was A, hypocritical, mm-hmm. and B, blasphemous. Right, right. Because he wasn't really w- rooted in the word. Sure. Instead of getting rooted in the word, he toned down... His, right. his, you know, preaching, quote mm-hmm. unquote, preaching, and then began getting ostracized by the church for refusing to preach mm-hmm. and instead labeling himself as a musician. It's that church hurt. Artist, mm-hmm. right. So now he's upset with the church. People who are in these organized churches have, have dismissed him and, and hurt him and, and right. come against him. And, and the people who accepted him mm-hmm. were the unchurched, right. right, which is why now he feels an affinity to them. Right, and I think that that's that's one thing too. I'll tell you from a personal experience or a story. I have been, and I'm sure you have. We all, everybody has been in a hurtful situation in a church. I'm, I can almost guarantee it. Someone's gotten hurt at church. I've been in a very like very hurtful situation. Um, I won't get into all the details because we don't need to. But I will say, like I um, I left that church. Um, I actually left that church because I had felt called to come to this church, mm-hmm. um, and. When I told them I was feeling called to come to this church, there's a lot of very hurtful things um, that were said um, out of emotion, and I know it was out of emotion, um, and I love these individuals still even to this day, um, but it was a hurtful situation. It was yeah. hurtful for my family too, but I will tell you, I didn't go out and start a brand new church with a whole new – To stick it in the st- yeah, yeah, right, right. Or, or, and in fact, I've incorporated a lot of what they did there because they did some things that were really awesome yeah. that I thought, wow, that is that is a really good way to – to do church. And then I saw some of the things that they were doing that were a little more legalistic or whatever. Sure. And, 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 you know, but, but I think that that's the danger, right? Is so often when we are hurt by the church, we run away from the church and try to create our own churches rather than say, well, that was a person. Right. Well, I think this is the hypocrisy of deconstruction. Right. Right. Is they let you know that, hey, the Bible was written by fallible men. Right. Right. Who yes. didn't always get it right. And no one can describe truth for you because they're all fallible. Mm-hmm. Only you can describe truth for you. Mm-hmm. Because you're not fallible, well, <laughs> right? That's right. The, yeah, I think, and I think that's where uh, everybody misses. This is why an external source of truth is so incredibly important. Mm-hmm. You know, like we can't, we are fallible, we are hypocrites. You mm-hmm. know, show me a hypocrite, I'll show you a person. Right, right. You know, people, yeah. people talk about sure. Christians being hypocritical. It's like, well, so are non-Christians. Sure, atheists are hypocritical. Everybody is. Yeah, everyone's hypocritical. Yeah. It's going to happen, right? So you can't, you can't say that people who are in Christianity. Uh, have to be infallible right. for Christianity to be true or Christianity to be true as they see it. Right. And then say that truth is yours even though you're well, that's the, that's that's the philosophical argument against deconstructionism is that you can't say truth is subjective because that is a true you're that's a, you're making a truth claim. Yeah. So so you can't say it's subjective and then speak with authority that it's true. Right. And so the same thing happens in theology and in churches and yeah. all of that is you can't say, well, you have your truth, I have my truth. What you're saying is you have your experience or you have your way and I have my way. That doesn't 
Someone's still right and someone's still wrong. You're saying that it's absolutely true that there is no absolute truth. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. Let's, let's read a couple of scriptures. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 18 through 23. Take care that no one deceives himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, mm. he must become foolish so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in the sight of God. For it is written, he is the one who catches the wise by their craftiness. Mm. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are useless. Mm. So then no one is to be boasting in people. For all things belong to you, whether Paul or Paulus or Cephas, or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. Mm. All things belong to you, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. Mm. So again, like you can't, you cannot use the wisdom of this world. You have to use the wisdom of Christ. That's why I always uh, try to be as stupid as possible. And you're doing a great job. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't mean to hurt you so that you can pursue your... No, this truth. is building me up, man. This yeah. just shows okay. I'm living into the truth of Scripture. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I'm persecuting you because of your truth. Uh, <laughs> Proverbs 3, 6 through 8 says, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Mm. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Mm-hmm. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Mm-hmm. Right? So again, these are just some things. Like This is all born out of self-identified philosophy. Sure. It's the wisdom of men, not the wisdom of God. Sure. We need to be about the wisdom of God. So then when we talk about how this applies to theology, so a couple of things that this does is they say, hey, we don't want to label actions as sin, mm-hmm. and we don't want to label people as sinners. Mm-hmm. They're just people, right? But, right. But God does. Right. Um, and then what this does is ultimately it minimizes the substitutionary atonement. Right. It gets rid of this idea that someone needs to die f- to pay for your sins because your sins don't require death because there's really nothing. There's not a. There's no such thing as sin. You right. don't. You're not a sinner. You're just different. Mm-hmm. You're living your truth as opposed to someone else's truth. Right. And so, we no longer need Jesus Christ. Right. To say to say that, to, and this is hard to hear for a lot of people because it's it's it can be hurtful. Um, to say that sin is real and people are sinners, I, I will put myself in that camp. I am a sinner, mm-hmm. um, but to say that. Um, to say that that's not true, okay, let's just go the deconstruction way. To say that's not true is to say that judgment isn't true, right. that God does not judge. Well, God does. In fact, we we find it in the book of Revelation that that is what it is. There is a final judgment. It's all over the Bible. So then if you say that, right, so if you say that, now you've de- you deconstructed Revelation out of your Bible because you don't need the judgment anymore. And if you don't need Revelation, what other books don't you need? Right. See, now you're beginning to to suddenly now now you're going you're stabbing at Scripture particularly. But what I can say is this: God judges, but God tells us we're not to judge. That's His job. Our job is to love. Our job is to call sin, right. to 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 proclaim yeah. the good news of the gospel. Um, I think I, I want. Yeah, and we can go back and forth if you want yeah. to on this. I don't know that, that Jesus tells us not to judge so much as he sure. tells us not to condemn. Right. Yeah, I will agree with right. you there for yeah. sure. Right, right. Um, yeah, because he still says, especially among Christians, we're supposed to call each other out. Right. Like we're supposed to hold each other accountable. So so but but like you said, I think condemnation is a better word here. Is it's not about us um 
the guilt and shame are not there. Yeah. It, the guilt is because we're guilty, but but the shame is not in the aspect of Jesus has taken that. And so what we do when we call people out is we're not saying, hey, you're terrible. You're you're you suck as a person and you right. should you should, you know, you're, you're headed to hell. What we do say is, hey, these are you're living outside of of your commitment to Christ, the yeah. covenant you've made. How can we help you get back into that covenant? Right. How can we walk with you? The truth is you are condemned by your own actions. Right. Jesus says, I didn't come into the world to um Came to save, but not to condemn. Yeah, but to save the world. Mm -hmm. But those who deny me stand condemned. They're already already. right. Exactly, you're already condemned. You know, I think we use that analogy of the of the being in the house on fire. Yeah, and and you know, no, this is fine. Yeah, and Jesus is kicking down the door, trying to invite you out of the house. Right, you know, come with me to live. Uh, So, like again. Like this is just this is where we're miss we're missing right. who Christ is, right? Because it feels uncomfortable to talk about judgment. It feels uncomfortable to talk about condemnation. It feels uncomfortable to talk about eternal consequence to getting it wrong now, right? Right, and and yet Jesus comes to uphold the law, right? Exactly. That's, so so you've got to wrestle with that because that's yeah. what Scripture says, and so you don't get to yeah. just pick and choose. Yeah, exactly. So one of the big things now too is that. Um, Politics and the current political mm. climates mm-hmm. are being brought into this as well. Mm-hmm. So intersectionality has become a big part of the deconstruction movement. And yes. for people who don't know, intersectionality is the acknowledgement that everyone has their own unique experiences of discrimination and oppression. And we must consider everything and anything that can marginalize people, which is gender, race, class, sexual orientation, physical ability, etc. Um and so, it, again, this is a focus on his, on history, sociology, and psychology. Right. Not history as much, but some— Right, sure, most certainly, yeah. Um, you know, so you end up with— um, uh, so you end up with some some statements like underneath your biblical claims is an obsession with power. Right. Right? This is how they apply intersectionality now to it. Like, right. You, you s- prop up this scripture about— Mm-hmm. Say homosexuality mm-hmm. to have power and authority. You're you're a complementarian so that you can have power and authority over women, and right? Keep them oppressed, right. which serves no man anywhere, right? Um, or how about you teach certain things to stay in power? Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, here's here's something historical that kind of lends to this concept, though, is mm-hmm. like uh, the Bible is quoted to justify slavery at different mm-hmm. points, right? Mm-hmm. But we understand, this is interesting, I think a lot of people don't know this, um, the way Ameri- slavery was done in America right. would have resulted in death for anyone who was under the old covenant. Oh, for sure. Which yeah. is where slavery was permitted. Most certainly, right? sure. So the way we did it was not the way God intended, right. and he never intended slavery to begin with. Right, right, right. Uh, yeah. You know, but... The way we did it was antithetical to the way right. that God allowed it. Right, right, right. Um, okay. Uh, but also, you know, slave Bibles were a thing. Right. Historically, slave Bibles were a thing that mm-hmm. people would remove things from the Bible mm-hmm. to prevent slaves from reading and learning that they should be should free. Be free. Right. Yeah. Right? <laughs> right, right. Which also kind of debunks this idea that the Bible promotes slavery. Right. right? Most if, certainly. If we, had to, if we had to edit it, to prevent slaves from realizing that slavery was wrong, right? Then and that it didn't mesh with Christianity. Then sure. it clearly doesn't promote it. Almost oh, certainly. Um, and they say, especially that, when God's chosen people are in fact slaves, right? 
Yeah, I mean, you, you, yeah. you got to go back and re and realize that that they are, by all intents and purposes, the, the Hebrew people, the, the Israelites. Like, I mean, that is this is the story of slavery, right. physical and sin, and and multiple times they're enslaved. I mean, the, yeah. The, um, and so, so when when a slave back then reads that, wait a minute. I see a lot of my life in the primary characters that God is caring for, loving, and leading. That's problematic for the slave owner because they're saying, well, I don't want them getting any thoughts that God can liberate them, you know? Right, right? right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, the Bible is, and, and the teaching of Christ is what it's focused on is that um, your spiritual freedom is more important than your physical freedom. Right. This is why when the chains were broken and loosed off of, was it uh, Peter and... Mm -hmm. um, they stayed in the they stayed they in stayed, this cell, yeah. Right. They they had no problem being in that place of oppression. Right. And they didn't preach against the oppression that was... They instead preached of the freedom of Christ. Right. Right. And so, again, we well, missed the plot there. Right, yes. Yeah. But I also think, too, when you, when you look at... Kind of talking about deconstruction today and what we're talking about, like what happens is so many times people will t will take a text, revise a text to fit their agenda and their need, and then when pressed upon it, then this is how you can always tell they don't have another. They, there's no other. There's no other scripture, right? You, right. So many times with the, when when you when you get into these deconstructional situations, someone gives a scripture and they're citing a scripture and it's maybe taken out of context or proof text or whatever. Right. And then you're like, okay, but where's another one? And it's just crickets, Be right. because they're God's word supports itself. It does. That's why it's the truth. Because yep. because it's it's truth no matter when and where. So you can use it multiple times. One hundred percent. So yeah. So. Ultimately, what's happening then is this deconstruction is taking intersectionality um, to discuss power dynamics, identity politics, um, again, making false claims um, and, and propping up false ideas like a pro-life woman is simply indoctrinated, mm -hmm. and the Bible is there to indoctrinate them to allow men to oppress women mm -hmm. by preventing abortion. Right. Right. Um, and yet Jesus was one of the most liberating women's rights mm -hmm. people of Probably in history. Yeah. I mean, what he was doing in his time was ahead of the game. Right. <laughs> and and even even before Jesus shows up manifest on the scene, you know. Oh, you've got Ruth. You've got, I mean, you've got yeah. – we, we did a whole series on women in the Bible. Yeah. I mean, the fact that God even talks about women in the Bible shows right. they're important. Or how about I just go back to the very beginning and when it says God made man in his image and he made them male and female. female. Right. Women are made in God's image. And actually it's, when he sees that he's alone, when Adam's just by himself, he's yeah. not good. It's he's, not until when he's made with yeah. a woman, women make us better. I think that's true. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we're, okay, that's another we're, topic for another time. We're going to end up in some wrong places. Okay. So, uh, but yeah, but again, like this intersectionality idea is that, you know, religion and Christianity is used to prop up patriarchy and then that stuff needs right. to be removed. Okay. I think it's true that um, people have used scripture inappropriately mm -hmm. to support their positions of power. Mm-hmm. I don't deny that. But I think what the, the problem here is that just because someone has misapplied a biblical concept doesn't mean that the biblical source is in question, mm -hmm. right? And it, and it doesn't mean that it needs to be re rewritten. Right. It means that it needs to be better understood. Right. And I think that's where deconstructionists claim that they're better understanding it, but in reality, they're dismissing it. Right. Sure. You know, and they're, and they're editing it. Um, and of course, this, this leads to questioning of established history, like we talked about the Council mm -hmm. of Nicaea. Because um, again, we need that to be this conspiracy so that our right. ideals can be true. Right. Right. Um, so 1 Corinthians 2.14, 1 
says, but a natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Hmm. They are fo- they, for they are foolishness to him, and he can or her, and he can, <laughs> and he or her cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Mm-hmm. Right. So again, um, just the the wisdom of God is, is you're going to miss it if you are working in the natural and from these ideologies, mm-hmm. right? Proverbs 14.8 says that the wisdom of the sensible is to understand his way, but the foolishness of fools is deceit. Fools mock at sin, but among the upright there is goodwill. Mm-hmm. So again, um, the I guess the crux of all of this, deconstruction is really about reapplying the scripture mm-hmm. um, Watering it down, removing aspects of it, and importing our own philosophies and agendas upon it, and then criticizing, sometimes criminalizing mm-hmm. those who want to hold the biblical biblical standard. Yeah, it's basically in the purest sense, it is um, fitting scripture into your life rather than your life into scripture. Right, and I think that that is the number one problem the deconstructionalist has is they they're cherry picking yeah like you said and watering down things but the reality is they're only doing it and I think this is maybe this is don't take this as truth but this is opinion um they're only doing it because they're trying to find a place of an existence that will affirm them yeah because they don't feel accepted anywhere else. And so, yeah. yeah. And this is the thing, though. The acceptance that they're striving for is the acceptance of man. Right. And man is fickle. People might accept you today, but they won't accept you tomorrow. Right. Right. Jesus will accept you every day. But like we, Exactly right. But yeah. what we talked about before, the inclusivity of Jesus is not that he will accept you to do whatever you want to right. do. He accepts you to come as you are, and then he will sanctify you. He will right. bring you into his greatness and his goodness and his love and his mercy and his grace. He will do all of those things. Right. You can't do them on your own, and you can't redefine them so that he doesn't have to. He still needs to do that for you, and you need to let him. That's right. Yeah. And so that's that's what the gospel is. So I think a, a good question for anybody who maybe is watching this, they probably are thinking about situations where they mm-hmm. have seen or heard this or had people talk to them about this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. How should we respond when friends and family or acquaintances or even strangers on the internet come at us with these deconstructionalist ideals? Um, with a lot of aggression and hate and anger, maybe hit them or call them stupid. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, of course not. No, no. I I think when you when you encounter these things, you have to understand the underlying this is from a counseling perspective and from a pastoral perspective and just from a people perspective i have learned you don't know what's going on in their life you don't know their history you don't know anything and so you have to don't don't assume anything and i think so when someone when you hear these things and when you see these things that doesn't mean you don't confront them but how you confront them is so important and and yeah. and, and i think if you go back to the initial causes, church hurt, there's things, you know, underlying principles. Maybe it's something in the Bible that was been lowered over them and it's legalism or something like that. Um, I think the best way to to confront it is, like, oh, I said this on Sunday in my sermon, is with Scripture. Is mm-hmm. to say, you know, Scripture says this, um, you know, and, and you say this. And I think the best way is to ask questions. Well, t- tell me, if, if the Word of God says this, but you're saying this, how do you rectify that? And I think a lot of people, when when put into a situation where they have to deconstruct their own deconstruction, right? Like that's the th- this is what systematic theology does. The systematic theology keeps asking that question. Well, wh- why do you say that? Well, what's wh- where do you wh- what scripture do you have? What 
different support do you have? And as you start to break that down, you find that the only thing you can go off of is the Word of God. Yeah. And so when you say, well, this scripture says this, well, how do you so deconstruct their deconstruction? You'll find that I think what's not going to work is you coming in and telling them they're wrong and that um, they've missed the boat and that they, that they are proof texting and that they are – they're not going to respond well to that. So yeah. that's how I think you if, – if, if the question is how do you respond, I think the way you respond is by trying to deconstruct their decon- – in a loving way, asking serious questions. Mm-hmm. Well, how do you rectify this? Or, or how do you – if the Bible says this, what do you think about that then? And, and all the while, you're not, you're not sacrificing your firm beliefs. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's fair to say that deconstruction lacks objectivity. Right. So provide objectivity. Exactly, you know, hey, right. Let's, let's just strip this down and let's just go back to the beginning. And let's just talk about these and, things. And let's talk about these things. And let's, you know what, tell, tell me about something that you have an issue with. Right, right. And why don't we why don't we look at that? Right. Why don't we systematically break it down? Right. Let's t- let's take it all through. Now we got to put it back together. And how do we put it back together? Right. And I think, you know, that's, that's where the creativity comes in because you can put your pyramid back together. It's got to look like a pyramid eventually, but, but you can, you can stack your pyramid and, and have, uh, you, you know, your own objectivity in there or subjectivity a little bit. Um, but you still got to wrestle with those blocks and you still have to wrestle with the out, like with, with scripture and with Jesus and with God and the Holy Spirit and the fruits of this, you know, all those things. And so, so yeah, I, I think the best way to do it, and this is how they do it. They literally in seminary, they deconstructed it all the way down and said, now you have all these blocks. You've got to deal with them. Let's help you stack them back up. You don't get to throw these blocks away. So, so I think it's like you said, objectivity is the number one thing. Um, but the way in which you introduce the objectivity is I think via question. Yeah, you know, don't 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 come in and say the Bible says this. Bang, see you later. Um, you know, don't slam your door in their face, but open the door and say, "Hey, what do you think about this?" And then when they start to stammer, say, "Well, you know, the Bible also," and then begin to support your objectivity with more objectivity. Right. You know, yeah. <laughs> I, I would also recommend to prayer. Oh, yes. You know, a pray for that person. Oh, uh, b pray for yourself. Mm-hmm. That God would give you the right opportunity and the right conversation, mm-hmm. you know. Not unlike we we pray before we do this, mm-hmm. um, just that God would would insert His words as opposed to our words. Yeah. Which, by the way, is me saying that everything we've said is inspired by God. <laughs> inspired by God. I was just gonna say, <laughs> does that mean everything? All the stupid stuff I say is uh, no. But you're, drum conversations. You're so <laughs> you're so right too, because I think we have to pray also that we would understand that He's the only one who can change them. Right. We cannot. And there's nothing we're going to say that's going to change them. We can we can say things that are going to plant the seeds, but it's only the Holy Spirit. It's only the Lord. It's only God who is going to grow that plant within that person yeah. to change. And so I think if you understand you can't change them, you can love them, you can tell them the truth, and you can tell them the truth in love. Yeah. And you're praying over that, God will change their heart. You know, someone actually, and this is a complete side note, but I think it's a good way to end. Someone asked me why God hardened Pharaoh's heart. I said, God didn't harden Pharaoh's heart. He did harden Pharaoh's heart. He only hardened what was there, though. Right. So what if God hardened Pharaoh's heart and, and his heart was full of joy, love, and peace? Kind of, He was affirming all of those things. That's all God All God did was say, you want to be a vengeful, negative Nancy? Be a vengeful, negative Nancy. Well, before it says God hardened his heart, it says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. His own heart, too. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. That's good. So, yeah. All right. Well, let's, roll that beautiful bean footage, buddy. <laughs> I just pray that uh, that God will prevent all of us from hardening our hearts. Yes. Yeah. For let sure. Us, let us have soft hearts that can appreciate a good drum loop. Amen. Amen. Amen.